Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Indians 5, the Seattle Mariners 4. I'm Davey Paris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And uh, boy, what a game do we have to talk about, right? I mean, even into the ninth inning of that game, the eighth into the eighth inning of that game, I'm sitting here thinking how we're going to have to do another podcast where, you know, we complain about the depth at starting pitching, and even though I'm not ready to give up on these guys, and where we talk about, you know, the Indians' offense just, once they're down, cannot get anything going, and then that ninth inning comes around, and suddenly I've got some fun things to talk about. Obviously, the Indians' comeback is the top storyline, but... I'm going to go in a little bit of chronological order here, and we're going to start with Tristan McKenzie and that first inning. And I'm going to let you know, if you hear some giant crashes of lightning and thunder or rain, there is one storm cloud that is headed this way, and uh, it's going to be here any minute. So hopefully it'll be enough to water the plants, but not enough to rain out old man softball on a Sunday morning. So let's get into the storylines, and uh, yeah. Tristan McKenzie, it was not good. It was really not good. And he pitched all right in his one start down in AAA between uh, his last start against Chicago where he had the all those strikeouts in a row. And then he goes down, he pitches a good game, gets the win down in Columbus. And now he comes back up here, and this was supposed to be permanent. This was supposed to be a roster spot for him that was supposed to stick. And we'll see. We'll see what happens here because... It's a disaster. I mean, it's an absolute disaster for Tristan McKenzie. Can't even make it out of the first inning. And looking at him, I mean, clearly it's, he said the ball, he, Hamilton made it sound like he was mouthing to the trainer that the ball was slipping out of his hand. Um, so I don't know what's going on there, but it looked mechanical. It looked like he just wasn't, finishing his pitches we've seen from Tristan McKenzie that leg kick now he has sort of a signature leg kick where he swings that leg through to finish his pitches and I'm telling you watching the highlights because I listened to this whole game on the radio um working in the basement walking the dog driving out for dinner the whole game I'm on the radio and uh watching the highlights this morning he didn't look like he was doing that leg kick this morning he was leaving the fastball high I mean, his pitch chart, his illustrator is just ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, it looks like, Hamilton said it, it looks like a Little League game. Yeah, it look, that's what a pitch chart of a Little League game would look like. Just pitches all over the place. No command, no idea where it's going. Spiking balls, throwing fastballs high over the catcher's head. Yeah, it's, uh, it, is pretty, it is pretty rough. And it's pretty ridiculous to look at it next to Phil Maidens. Because Phil Maiden threw maybe 85% of his pitches in the strike zone. So looking at Phil Maiden, looking at next to looking at Tristan McKenzie's illustrator right now is just it's a ridiculous visual. So yeah, so McKenzie didn't look like he was finishing his pitches. That's what it, it looked like the leg kick wasn't there. And uh yeah, he ends up walking JP Crawford to start things, right? Walks Mix Hanniger. Uh, Kyle Seeger does him a favor and pops out to third base. So it's an infield fly. Ty France flies out to center. So he finally gets some guys to take some swings. 
Jake Fraley says, I'm not an idiot. I'm taking my walk. I think he walked Jake Fraley. Was it four straight? I'm not sure. And then Dylan Moore walks, I know, on four straight. And, uh, yeah, brings in the run, and that's it. That's it for Tristan McKenzie. He's done after that. And once again, Phil Maiden has to come out of the bullpen. And No, 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 no. Uh, Jake Fraley walked, worked a long at-bat. He worked a 10-pitch at-bat and then finally walked on a fastball down. Uh, and then Dylan Moore did walk on four straight. Could not, it could not locate the fastball to save his life for Dylan Moore. So, yeah. I knew someone walked on four straight there. So then Phil Maynard once again has to come in. And of course he's facing Jake Bowers. And if Jake Bowers wanted a moment to get revenge on the Cleveland Indians, this was it. Bases loaded. They just pulled the starter in the first inning. You have a chance to be the guy that blows the game wide open. And we saw it in Baltimore and we saw it in Seattle. Or Sorry, we saw it in St. Louis. And Jake Bowers had the chance for his revenge. And Phil Maynard Gets him to strike out, I believe, on some high heat. Uh, yeah, top of the zone, in the strike zone, goes high heat and strikes him out. So, there you go, Jake Bowers. Uh, Maiden gets out of it, and uh, Maiden would do okay, work in okay second inning, right? Wouldn't give up any runs in the second, and they would get to him in the third. He would give up a two-run homer in the third inning. And let me tell you something about Phil Maiden. It's incredible for Terry Francona to have a guy that he can call down to the bullpen and say, it's getting crazy out there. Get up, get loose, you're going in. It's incredible to have a guy that any point in the game, you can throw him out there and he can give you a good, solid relief performance. However, like most relievers, they're out there for a reason. And if Phil Maiden gets too deep into a game, it does not go well. And we just learned his last two outings have been the exact same thing. where He's gone in and rescued someone, and he stayed in the game too long and eventually given up a home run or a big hit or something like that, given up a couple runs. And if you look at the numbers, and the Indians are supposed to be so analytical, how did they not think of this? And I'm thinking about this. So on baseball reference, and this is, it, this is updated from yesterday, on pitches one, through pitch 25, yet he's got a hit, right? He's given up 20 home runs. He does give up home runs. He's got a 255 batting average against, right? A 758 OPS. So he's not having a dominant season, but uh, he's doing okay, right? He's doing okay out of the bullpen. On pitches 26 through 50, what is Maiden's ERA on the season right now? He's got a 646 ERA. He's carrying a pretty heavy ERA. I feel like he's had some bad outings that have really balanced out the good, you know, unbalanced the good outings. Um, we'll have to take a look at that and see. But pitch 1 through 25, he's got a 255 batting average against. 758 OPS. On pitches 26 through 50, He's got a 321 batting average against. He's got a 1.085 OPS against him. What pitch do you think it was that he threw to, uh, let's scroll down to the third inning there, to Jake Fraley for the home run? Pitch 26 on the dot. On the dot. On cue. Pitch 26. 
He leaves him a pitch right down the middle, and Fraley cranks it out to right field for a two-run home run. The numbers are there, and if you're an analytics team, you have to know that you cannot leave Phil Mayton in forever. It's not going to work. Um, so, yeah, so I, I don't know how I can see that. I get that Francona's like, look, I need this guy to run as long as he can run because we got to get out of this darn thing. But, yeah, you cannot leave this guy in there forever. Uh, it's It's... The numbers, it's the numbers. Use the numbers, analytical Cleveland Indians. Use them. He had a 245 ERA leaving April. Only one appearance did he give up a run in April. It gets worse in May. In May, it is ERA jumped all the way to seven. He gave up four runs in an appearance against Minnesota. Um, yeah, he's been he's been hit around. It has not been perfect for me. It's either great or terrible for Phil Maiden. So, yeah, that are, those are my thoughts on the beginning of the game. Then the Indians' bullpen really settles in. Sandlin running a third, three strikeouts. He does walk through guys, but three strikeouts. Trevor Steffen does great work to get out of his inning of work. He had runners on the corner, right? They, uh, they took third base from him. So he had runners on the corner, one out, and he gets two strikeouts, both on high and away fastballs, throwing some serious heat, 98. Uh, Trevor Steffen can be a weapon. He threw a ton of fastballs yesterday. He threw, uh, going over to the player breakdown, what did he throw? He threw 18 fastballs and one slider. And the CSW on those fastballs was 44%. So, yeah, he was going with the hard stuff. And uh, it gets him out of it, right? It really gets him out of it. But... Trevor Steffen can be a weapon, whether he sticks in the bullpen, whether they try to stretch him out as a starter, because that's how he came up. But I think I think his future is as a bullpen guy. I really think he could be a huge weapon out of that bullpen. But he does great work out of the bullpen. Nick Wickring goes an inning with two strikeouts, a clean inning. Blake Parker does give up a solo home run. But at that point, it was 3-0, and the offense had shown no signs of life. Henches comes in, two innings for Henches. Four strikeouts in his two innings, only gives up one hit. Now, he did give up some long outs to the wall in the left field and center field. So, Henches had a little bit of good luck there. He gave up three hard hit balls in his two innings. But, for a guy that got absolutely blasted around the ballpark and walks a bunch of people, to see no walks, four strikeouts, and to see, uh, yeah, he did get hard hit a little bit, but had some good luck, right? Uh, that's good to see. And then Karinchek, dominant in the ninth inning. Two strikeouts in that ninth inning to give the Mariners nothing. Nothing with that runner on second. And that is, I mean, that's almost, you know, the final nail in the coffin for an away team with this new extra inning rule where a runner starts on second. You're now giving the home team the runner on second and all they have to do is get them in to score? Come on now. All right, so sticking in chronological order, the next storyline is that the Indians' offense was asleep for the first seven innings of this game. There were some hits. There were some infield hits. But Francona decided that uh, he needed to get his righties in there against the lefty Kikuchi. Well, how did that work out? Kikuchi goes seven innings, gives up three hits, no runs, three walks, six strikeouts, doesn't give up a hit to batters five through nine. Right? Kikuchi was that good. 
Um, most of the hits come from the top of the lineup. So he gets Yu Chang in there at third base, gives Ramirez the day off at DH, uh, and then he gives Owen Miller first base. And I'm thinking, why? Why are you doing this? Bobby Bradley is the spark plug, spark plug that is igniting this offense. Bobby Bradley is this huge fan favorite that just got here, and he should be in there every day. Yes, young in his career, Bobby Bradley's OPS against left-handers, his splits against the left and the right. Early in his career, he struggled, but he's been getting better every year of his career against left-handed pitching. In 2018, he had a 691 OPS. In 2019, he had a 940 OPS. And in 2021, remember, he played a month down there in Columbus. He has a 1.233 OPS against left-handed pitching. Bobby Bradley should be starting almost every game. There's no reason. You were hitting the guy fifth yesterday. There is no reason he shouldn't have been hitting fifth again today. Bobby Bradley should be in there. And lo and behold, once Bobby Bradley gets in the game, really good things started to happen. So the offense does come alive there in the eighth inning. I was really hoping the win probability chart here on Baseball Savant would take a turn. And it did. As soon as Bobby Bradley hits the home run, it dips. Um, where is... Uh, I'm looking for uh, Cesar Hernandez's home run. So it dips a little bit. It was at 98% win probability for the Mariners until Cesar Hernandez hits a solo home run. It only goes to 95% win probability. Um, it's back up at 100% win probability after Eddie Rosario grounds out in that ninth inning. Uh, once Bradley Zimmer walks, it drops to 99%. When Jake Josh Naylor drops, it drops to 96%. When Bobby Bradley gets his hit, it drops to 91%. And then, obviously, uh, when Rene Rivera hits his double, suddenly the win probability plummets all the way down to the Indian side of the line. So... Uh, was Bobby Bradley coming into the game the thing that moved the win probability in the Indians' favor? No, but it was the thing that happened right before the win probability plummets into the Indians' favor from the 90% for the Mariners. So yeah, once Bobby Bradley comes in the game, good things start to happen. Now yeah, there were some highlights and some things. There were some good defensive plays by the Mariners. There were some bad defensive plays by the Mariners. Some infield hits from the Indians. But there was really nothing worth talking about until the eighth inning. Cesar Hernandez gets a solo home run to right right center field, you know, those seats right in front of the bullpen. Cesar Hernandez is having a little bit of power this year. He's having a weird season where his batting average is down, but the power is there. Now, the most home runs he's ever hit in a season is 15. He had 15 and 14 the seasons before he left Philadelphia. Remember, he's been here for a long time. And so he's at 10 now on the season. So, I mean, he's on pace for 20-ish, 22-ish home runs, right, uh, on the season. Will he get there or will he kind of fizzle out around 15 home runs, kind of what he's done in his career? Um, it, either way, he's probably on pace for a career high in home runs. So Cesar Hernandez bringing the lumber, uh, even though he's only hitting 217, it really feels like he's been coming on as of late. And uh, the Indians offense, 
that's not necessarily the thing that gets them going, right? They still get out of that eighth inning. They still go into the ninth inning with a three-run lead. They're up 4-1, and they bring in Rafael Montero. Rafael Montero is terrible uh, this season. Last year for Texas, he was 8-for-8 in saves. This year, he is 7-for-13 in save opportunities. He's almost under 500 for save opportunities. And how can you keep a guy your closer when he's struggling that bad in the ninth inning? He has six blown saves on the season. He's riding a 540 ERA. That guy cannot be your closer anymore. You've got to find somebody else. Kendall Graverman, the guy that pitched the eighth inning before him, has a 0.51 ERA. The home run he gave up to Cesar Hernandez, I believe, according to the radio broadcast, was the first run he has given up the entire season. Why isn't that guy closing? Yeah, the first run, and first not even unearned runs. The first, literally the first run he's given up the entire season. So uh, Montero gives up, gives it up to the Indians. The Indians go to their bench. This is all with two outs, mind you. Harold Ramirez grounds out. Eddie Rosario grounds out. Then they bring in Badly Zimmer for Yu Chang, right? Get a lefty in there. He draws a two-out walk. Josh Naylor draws a two-out walk. Bobby Bradley comes in to pinch hit for Owen Miller, takes one off the handle of the bat, splinters the bat. Man, if he got the barrel on this thing, this thing would have been gone. Uh, but he gets the handle of the bat on the ball and flares it out into right field, beats the shift, drops it in between the second baseman and the right fielder. It brings in one run to score, and uh, suddenly there is life in progressive field. Rene Rivera down in an 0-2 count gets a slider down that he's able, that's still in the strike zone, in the middle of the plate, and he puts it off the wall in left field. Everybody thought this ball was probably gone. The announcers thought it was gone. Even the camera guy pulled out like he thought the ball was going to be gone. The way they zoom out and then kind of zoom back in to chase it. Um, it goes for a double off the wall. And Bobby Bradley, this was good to see, right? Some guys might have watched that ball, see if it went out for a home run, had to be stopped at third base. He was off with the crack of the bat. And he scores all the way from first to tie the game. Huge, huge inning for the Cleveland Indians. Then, like I said, Karinczak is dominant in the 10th. Uh, what does he do? Let's talk it out in the 10th. He strikes out Dylan Moore. He gets Jake Bowers to ground out to Ahmed Rosario. Uh, Fraley does move up to third, but then he gets Tom Murphy called out on strikes. Both strikeouts were looking. Uh, 10th inning, Ahmed Rosario singles to center field. Cesar Hernandez moves up to third. We got runners on the corner. They intentionally walk Jose Ramirez. It makes sense. You gotta load the bases at this point. You know, a double play does you nothing. You gotta load the bases and try to get the out at home. And then the 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 thing that you cannot explain with numbers, with anything, with statistics. Harold Ramirez comes up, bases loaded, swings at the first pitch. The location of this pitch is a place where no one should ever swing. At a pitch. It, it absolutely should not have been swung at. It was a slider that didn't even spin. It was 80 mile per hour pitch that got away from him. It was underneath Harold Ramirez's hands. 
for some reason, Harold Ramirez thought he could drive this ball, thought he could turn on this ball and hit it out to the outfield. All he's trying to do is hit the ball to the grass. A sack fly, a single out there, that's all he's trying to do. Instead, he hits it back to the pitcher. He hits a 26-feet dribbler back to the pitcher. A 53-mile-per-hour exit velocity with the bases loaded in the 10th inning with nobody out. The pitcher comes home with the ball and throws it wide of the catcher. He tries to soft toss it. He tries to short arm it. He tries to just lob it to his catcher and ends up almost throwing it to the backstop. The catcher has to leap to his left to get it. Cesar Hernandez is able to slide in and score the game-winning run on something that should have been a double play, uh, right? Probably a home-to-first double play. It ends up going as a game-winning walk-off fielder's choice for Harold Ramirez. And uh, sometimes in baseball, you're good. And sometimes in baseball, you are damn lucky. And this is a situation where the Indians were damn lucky. So that's the storyline there. The Indians' offense finally coming to life in that ninth inning with two outs. That is some serious progressive field magic. Or it's some serious Seattle Mariner bad luck. Because they need to find a closer. That guy is not the answer right now. Like I said, he was 8 for 8 in save situations last year for Texas. So, there's something there. But right now, you've got to get him out of the closer spot and let him pitch some different innings and get some confidence back. Although, that's not our problem. That's a problem for a Seattle Mariners fan podcast. MVP for the day? I th- Oh boy, this is a tough one. I think i got to give it to Rene Rivera. I got to give it to the backup catcher. You hit a game-tying two-run double in the bottom of the ninth inning with a two outs and an 0-2 count. I think you win MVP for the day. I think that's just how it goes. So, Rene Rivera, I mean, there's there's actually a lot of people to pick from, right? Um, a lot of those guys out of the bullpen probably deserve MVP for the day. James Karinczak holding it down in the 10th inning, right? Uh, Trevor Steffen with those two big strikeouts to get out of it, but I got to give it up to the guy that gets the game-tying hit. It was his only hit of the game, but that's kind of what you get from from your ninth hitter, from your backup catcher. Like, give me one big hit. Just give me one, one moment at the plate that does something spectacular. So, Rene Rivera, you get MVP for the day. All right, so yeah, one heck of a baseball game. And uh, I think that's all the details I can give you from that game. That's all my thoughts. We've got a fun one coming up today. We got Shane Bieber on the mound for the Cleveland Indians. And doesn't it feel like Shane Bieber is always pitching in these day games? He is going up against Gilbert, Logan Gilbert, a righty for the uh, Seattle Mariners. 6'6", big dude, 24 years old, 1-2 with a 4.98 ERA on the season. Uh, so, yeah, so those lefties should be in there. There is no excuse for those lefties not to be in there in this one. Has he been starting the entire season? Let's take a look here. Um, yeah, five stars. There'll be a six start for uh, Logan Gilbert. So he's going up against Bieber. It feels like Bieber is always pitching these day games. Well, in fact, yeah, kind of is. He's had six day games on the season and seven night games. So this will be his seventh day game. This will even him up uh, 50-50 on the season. And he does much better in the night games. He's 5-1 in night games. He's 2-2 two two during the day. 
His ERA at night, 245. ERA during the day, 362. Uh, strikeouts per nine are, are uh, yeah, strikeouts per nine are actually better during the day. He's at 14.9 strikeouts per nine. He's at 11.3 strikeouts per nine at night. But his strikeouts to walks are better at night. 4.62 strikeouts for every walk at night. 3.44 strikeouts per every walk during the day. So, yeah, I could bounce around and tell you all his stats when it comes to this. Uh, last one, his whip. His whip is better at night. 1.154 walks, hits per inning pitch. 1.232 during the day. So, he's got a chance to turn some of those day numbers around and get them to even out his night numbers against the Seattle Mariners at 1 o'clock today. So, Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. We'll be back to cover that game tomorrow morning. Who knows? Maybe I'll sit down tonight and do a Cleveland baseball nightly episode. That way I can get a good start on the workday tomorrow. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.